Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. W.C. Fields, the American vaudeville performer and comedy actor from the 1920s and 30s, was reputed to have once said, never work with animals or children. Well, in this edition of Communication Mixdown, we're going to be working with both. Hello, I'm John Langer. And just to be accurate, this show isn't going to be working with animals or children as such, but our guests definitely are. Ben Lando is an artist who creates interactive experiences and performances that deconstruct social, political, and cultural assumptions in order to spur audiences to think about their capacity to act rather than react in the world. And right now he's doing exactly what W.C. Fields says he shouldn't do, which is he's working with children. Hello, Ben. Hello, John. Your project's called the Children's Party Think Tank Sessions, and I wanted to ask about uh, what what it what it's all about because it's happening at the Arts Centre right here in Melbourne. And just give us a little bit of an idea what what it's all about. Sure, the Think Tank Sessions are a uh, project which has happened. Um after the the main children's party project, which happened at the end of last year, which is um, Australia's first political party run by kids. Um, and the think tank sessions are an extension of the uh, process that we went through to create the children's party. Um, and it's a, a series of six two-hour sessions over the next six months that kids can book into, nine to 12-year-olds. Uh, and uh, we'll take two hours each time to, um, I guess, uh, look at how kids see things in the world and what they would do uh, in some ways if they were running the country or making decisions as a political party. Wow, that's a big, uh, it's a big, big uh, job they've got in front of them. Yeah, well, we've only got two hours, so we've got to squish it all in. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you haven't got hours and hours like in the Senate and in, in Canberra where it goes through the night and so on. Now, we're a program about communication, and I'm imagining that a lot of the thinking that's behind this project, and I'm making an assumption here, but I think it actually has to do with getting children to communicate to each other and and communicate their ideas. What are you sort of anticipating will happen here? Um, Well, the sessions that we run are, I guess, rather than telling kids what to do or what to think or how to think, it's about running small experiments, I guess they're kind of like games where um, kids take on different roles or come up with ideas or, as you said, communicate to each other, but most likely probably actually communicating out into the world to adults 
um, to the general public about uh, what they want to say. Ah, so uh, just give us a little bit of an idea of, of how a session would, would run. Just, just to, you know, just give, us, give me an idea of how it would work. Sure, yeah. Um, so there's, uh, over the two hours, we've kind of broken it up into three sections. The first section is um, about, I mean, they're kind of like warm-up games, kind of drama games as well, but they're, I guess, politically motivated in some ways. Um, and getting um, kids to think about their place in the world. For instance, those exercises, um, kind of, I guess, uh, uh, look at what people think kids are like and how they fit into the world, and then um, get the kids to think about what kids are, and then, again, focus down to the individual and think about I am uh, again, and then thinking about um, games around making decisions together. That's kind of like the first hour is those kind of games. The second half hour is maybe more getting into the nitty-gritty of um, communication and having ideas, things like what is power and who has it, hmm. or um, looking at ways to have conversation or bringing things up in conversation that you think are important to you, and uh, ideas of, uh, like I guess, rebuttal and, and making arguments rather what? than just saying, well, that's wrong kind of thing. And right. the last hour um, will be a long-term project over the six months where we'll be looking at um, sort of ideas that kids have come up with and then looking at different ways to get that out into the world through letters, uh, conversations, video ad campaigns, speech writing, and then, of course, the kind of the speech performing, the giving of the speech at the end. So, yeah, we've, I guess we've got sort of warm-up stuff and then getting into the nitty-gritty and then uh, a long-term project about big ideas going out into the world. And it would be the, just to go in relation to the speech, the speech writing and making, th- this would be the kids doing this. Is that right? Ah, oh, definitely, yeah, for sure. And, um, I mean, we're looking at not only in terms of, a, like, a political party, like some sort of leader or the front person or whoever's seen by the media, but also all of the machinations that occur behind the scenes. So for a politician, they wouldn't necessarily write the whole speech that they're performing, and that would be the case for these kids as well, that some will be writing and some will be performing. Some prefer to be behind the scenes, some prefer to be behind the camera even. And you you said you've done this before. You, you've, you've done something similar before. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So the, the Children's Party, uh, the first world premiere, um, occurred last year in September and was um, a commission from Melbourne Fringe Festival and produced alongside with our Arts House in North Melbourne. Um, and it was a just over six-month development period with a group of about 12 kids uh, age 9 to 12, um, from my co-creators, uh, sort of theatre and drama life lessons school, the House of Muchness. Um, and over six months, we met uh, once a week hmm. for about two hours, and always those sessions had something to do with the children's party, not necessarily the whole two hours. Um, hmm. And that's where we prototyped a lot of these games and um, ways of thinking and, and working with kids. Um, and that culminated in a, an interactive performance in September last year where uh, kids and parents could come along and take and watch the presentation of the children's party, but a lot of it was interactive. So, in a lot of the, the performance, kids from the audience got up and, and took part in the activities that the kids then run. That sounds really interesting. And just to go back a little bit to what you were saying before, you said one of the things that they get involved in one of the sessions is discussion about power. Now, that's that's a very interesting idea and and i mean it's it's a reality for all of us but how do you how do you do that in terms of 
getting the children to sort of comprehend that or work work their way through that? Um, I think uh, a lot of it comes from experience um, and uh, I guess breaking down or analyzing the things that we know in our own in our own world um, within the uh, workshop itself or within the two hour session there is an existing power dynamic mm. already between Alex and myself and the kids and I think that's probably a point where we will start um, about talking about power and about for instance Alex and I are setting the agenda of what we're doing today um, and that comes back to I guess something that we're trying to do with the children's party is we're very aware that we're adults saying that we're yes. running the children's party but um, I mean within the structure that we set up there is a, a great possibility and um, yeah opportunity for kids to kind of take over and have their say in fact all of the principles and policies that are developed by the children's party haven't come from us they've all come from kids but you know it has to start somewhere um, and I guess that power structure is something that we we, we will start with Session. The thing that comes to my mind is things like you're talking about their everyday life and how power sort of works in their everyday life. I'm thinking of stuff as simple or as prosaic as my brother, you know, did something to me and he took away from me. And that's clearly a, a kind of power situation. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, one the, the two sides of the coin are like power and responsibility as well. Um, and where people act, act outside of their power and, and how they do that, and, and also who they speak for, um, which in like a representative democracy is really important to consider. Um, but yeah, we probably will get a lot of discussions about, oh, I fought with my brother or sister about this. But <laughs> yep. um, I think that's also the, what you've just described there is uh, kind of like a, a moment that adults think that children will come up with and is in some ways quite reductive, whereas mm. kids see a lot and experience a lot and know a lot about our world, a lot more than we probably give them credit for. Right. So although there might be examples like that, I would say that, you know, um, if we start talking about power, definitely kids will come up with some incredible um, experiences of um, power, of empowerment, and um, where power has been used in their own experience, probably both in school and in in sport, but they're definitely mm. very uh, attuned to the world. Interesting, very interesting. Now, you said there was a group, uh, the group of the children that come together. Just, just some very practical things. How many children work in the session? And and how, you said it in how many hours at two hour sessions? But what happens in the sessions in terms of record? You record the what goes on, or do they write things down? How does it actually work? Um, well, in the past. So last year when we did the children's party, there were 12 kids working together. But this year in the think tank session at the Arts Centre Melbourne, they, as you said, they go for two hours. I think the capacity is for 25 kids. Um, I think, yeah, and um, and they will, yeah, go through these different, I guess, workshops uh, or small exercises. And mm. um, we will be we. we we, we record things in different ways. So um, some of them will be writing down a lot of stuff. Sometimes we'll be maybe drawing pictures. Sometimes we use a video camera. Uh, we'll probably take a couple of photos, but it's also important to um, let what's happening in the moment happen without trying to capture it too much. Um, and, and Alex and I are always, you know, seeing what's coming out of the, any situation. And, um, and if there's some real goals, sometimes we'll, rather than, having a video camera on all the time, we might say to the kid, hey, that was really good. Can you just tell us that 
again for, for this video or something. Right. But ultimately, the think tank sessions are providing content, ideas, um, new methodologies, may, maybe even new ways of, of doing the whole thing um, in order for, um, for us to build uh, later seasons of the Children's Party in different places, probably around Australia. Just tell me something uh, in relation to your own work. What, what's the thing that surprises you that comes out of these? I mean, the way you're talking about it is it's very interesting to me to hear this. What, what, what's the sort of surprising thing that comes out of it? Um, I think, as I said before, I think sometimes adults uh, think of kids as this kind of like, you know, and what kids think about and say is like kids say the darndest things. And that can be the that can be the case as well when yep. you know kids say crazy things. But kids are incredibly insightful and um, see and hear a lot of the world that we maybe don't give them a lot of credit for. And I think in this environment that we um, create and generate this sort of um, open space for discussion, we really see a lot of um, what these kids see and hear and how they, I guess, analyze it. And some of them are like the darndest things, but also some of them are incredibly sharp and honest and sometimes without much filter mm. um, which I really appreciate and then sometimes when you go back to the adult world and you're sugarcoating everything you realize um, how we've you know uh, changed in getting out into the real world and losing some of our um, maybe sometimes our honesty as well so yes that honesty that continually surprises me for sure very interesting. And just a very practical question, how can people find out more? And uh, if children want to get involved, how can they do that? Sure, yeah, of course. Um, well, the Children's Party Think Tank sessions are at the Arts Centre Melbourne. So the best way to book in is to go to their website um, and have a look at, uh, um, at their website and, and book in there. Um, it's on from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Sundays uh, for the next six months, the first one being this Sunday. Um, and it's at the channel at the Arts Centre Melbourne. So, yeah, go to their website and check it out from there. Thank you very much for being on Communication Mixdown, Ben, and all the best with your project. My pleasure, John. Thanks very much. The workshops are called the Children's Party Think Tank Sessions, and it's happening at the Arts Centre, and I've been talking to performance artist Ben Lando, and he's one of the co-creators of the project. Faithful Gardeners, it's time to turn on and tune in to our annual Radiothon on Sunday the 24th of June from 7.30 to 10am and help keep your favourite gardening show growing. Listen in on Sunday the 24th of June and call 9419-8377 for great deals on seeds, new organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and new green focus book titles or make a tax-deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio. Join us at the station after the show from 10 till 12pm to pick up your prizes, have a cuppa and say hello. Dig deep for the 2018 3CR Gardening Radiothon, 7.30 till 10am on Sunday the 24th of June. I love trees with all their lovely leaves Lifting up their branches to the sky We are Communication Mixdown. And our next guest is also someone who is definitely not taking W.C. Fields' advice about never working with animals. In this case, it's a very particular animal, 
Melissa Starling calls herself the creature teacher. She's got a background in zoology, written a doctoral thesis on dog behavior and emotions, and she's just co-authored a book entitled Making Dogs Happy. Good evening. Good evening, Melissa. Melissa, you there? Hi. Hello. Hi. Now, I wanted to start by saying, uh, confessing, I haven't read your book, but I read an article that you wrote in the conversation, and maybe I'm making a big assumption, but I thought a lot of what you were writing about has to do with dog-human communication and miscommunication. And I'm thinking about the way you describe dogs, for example, wanting space and how they communicate by barking and growling. Tell us a bit about that. Well, uh, dogs have got a lot of ways to communicate with each other. Um, and for the most part, they start with um, visual signals. So um, they'll use their eyes or um, the tension in their face or their tails and their ears to tell another dog what they want or what they don't want. Um, but, you know, if that doesn't work, then they, they revert to shouting, which is basically barking and lunging. Ah, okay. Now, another example, and I'm taking this from the things that you've been writing about, um, this time humans misreading dog communication signals when a dog approaches a human or another dog in a friendly fashion and then growls and snaps at them. What, what's going on there? It's a, you know, it's a really common pattern that I see, particularly in suburban dogs, because um, a lot of the reasons why dogs approach other dogs, it's not always that they necessarily want to be friends or have um, some kind of prolonged interaction. A lot of the time they're just, they just um, want to know who you are and what you're doing there. So they'll come over to collect information. And, um, you know, that's kind of when people or other dogs sometimes will um, try to have a more involved interaction, like people will try to pat them or dogs will try to play with them. And at that point, they say, no, thank you. I was, that wasn't what I was after. And that's when you'll get that growling and snapping because all of a sudden the other um, animals right in their face. And so in that case, um, they don't have as many options as they would if there was more distance involved. Just a, a little sidelight, you have been, been doing a bit of research on this. Are all the things that you're talking about, have they been documented in research or is this something which you're coming up with? Or how, how, does, how, do, how do these findings that you're discussing, uh, how do you arrive at these things? Oh, you know, like it's, uh, it's really difficult with dogs because um, we haven't um, got a lot of really good foundation research like we do in other uh, animals. So we know more about bee behavior and rat behavior than we do about um, what dogs are trying to tell each other and what they're trying to tell us. So uh, in a scientific sense, that is. But we do have quite a lot of experience with dogs, at least um, living with them all the time and working with them. So we have a fair idea of um of the kinds of things they like and what they work for. But what it comes down to when you're looking at um, trying to understand what they want and and how to um, interact with them, we use probably learning theory is, is the best way that best tool that we have to, to try to understand them. And we can use learning theory um, by looking at what kinds of consequences they will work to get more of and what kind of consequences they work to avoid. You better tell us a little bit more about learning theory. I think I know what it is, but you better just explain it to us <laughs> in, a, in seven words, can you? <laughs> so learning theory is, um, it, it, well, there's, there's several aspects of it, but what we're really interested 
in, in this context is operant conditioning. So in psychology, that is um, where uh, consequences drive behavior. So if something good happens after the dog does something, then they do more of that. But if something bad happens after they do something, then they do less of that. Right, right. A bit like humans too. <laughs> well, like anything, you know, like learning theory works with, with basically any animal that has a brain stem. Now, I want to ask you something else because you talked about what you called subtle signs when a dog becomes anxious. Now, I, I thought this was particularly useful in relation to our discussion. I mean, our programs about communication. It seemed to me that idea of the subtle signals really fit in very well with ideas about communication. Yeah, so a lot of dog communication is it does start off very subtle. Like I hinted at before, they have um, visual signals that they use with each other. And um, the, the places where this can best be picked up um, are with their tail and with their ears, but also in their face. So they will, um, if they get a little bit anxious, you'll see that their face tightens up a bit and you'll see these little lines form around the corners of their mouth. They'll kind of stretch their mouth um, a bit like a grin. And people often misinterpret that as a grin because mm. it looks like a smile to us. But mm. um, if it's quite tense, um, you'll see these little um, lines form and that tells us that the dog is, is um, a bit stressed. And you'll also see it around their eyes. So you kind of see these little lines just sort of on the edges of their cheeks, I guess, <laughs> just mm. above mm. Their, but just below their nose, and uh, uh, below their eyes, I mean, between their nose and their eyes. And that, again, sort of shows that tension in their face. So even when you have a dog that is really aroused and excited, like they're chasing a ball, they'll be very um, tense, but they won't show that tension in their face so much because their face will be more relaxed. And that's how we know that they're in a good state rather than a bad state. So part of what you're really saying is, in fact, humans, us, us people, have to be able to read the signals that the dogs are giving off to really understand the kind of communication that's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's always it's always probably the most helpful tool that we have. And you know, dogs are so good at reading each other and reading us. Even they're better at reading our body language than we are at reading their body language. Because for humans, most of our communication is verbal. So you know, even though we give a lot of um, behavioural signals and we we give a lot of visual signals in our behaviour. We don't really pay a lot of attention to that in each other. We do a little bit, but not um, nearly as much as the dog would pay attention to it because the dog's mode of communication is different in the first place. So, you know, a dog does, doesn't listen so much to our... Like, we, we give them a lot of verbal information, like we would to each other, mm. and most of that is just noise to them. They don't really understand what <laughs> what's going down. They can kind of pick up tones a little bit, but they learn, you know, they pick it up by sense. They learn that, you know, when their owner uses this tone, mm. that means that they're in trouble. But when the owner uses this tone, then that means that um, something good is going to happen. So they pick it up that way. But otherwise, you know, they're, they're much more adept at understanding um, body language. So, you know, we can give them signals with, with our bodies as well. Like if we mm -hmm. um, use the way that we lean towards them or lean away from them. So if you lean away from a dog, it's like an invitation. Whereas if you kind of lean towards them, it can be more threatening to them. I'm taking all this in very carefully, Melissa, because I have a dog myself, and uh, all these things are extremely relevant. Just to finish up, I wanted to ask you if you could pick one top thing, maybe this is really hard to do, but one top thing that you would recommend to make dog-human communication better, what would you pick? Uh, it is hard. I would say 
just be a really good observer of your dog. So the best thing that we can do is to appreciate them as an individual. And that means, you know, look at the patterns in their behavior. If we think that they, they're going to enjoy this, then what would that look like in, in practice? And is the dog actually doing that or are they doing something else? Mm-hmm. It's been very interesting talking to you, Melissa, and I want to wish you all the best with your work and also with the book. So uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. That was Melissa Starling. She calls herself the Creature Teacher, and her new book is called Making Dogs Happy. We are Communication Mixed Down, and, well, we started with W.C. Fields, who said never work with children or animals, and we did that today with uh, not ourselves but our guests. And I want to thank our guests, both uh, Ben Lando and Melissa Starling, for being on the program this week. And to finish up, a very big thank you to all the generous Radiothon donations that have come in to keep Communication Mixed Down and 3C on the air and fighting for your mic. We'll be back next Thursday. Speak to you then.